Own Your Creativity, Episode 21. Yeah, no, I guess we have to define play, which seems crazy, but it's just a willingness to not be defined by what, by what you did yesterday or what you think you have to do by tomorrow. You're listening to the Own Your Creativity podcast with me, your host, Elizabeth Johnston. I'm an author, professor, and creativity coach, and I have helped thousands of people free their inner writer so they can tell their story and finally feel proud about realizing their writing dreams. One of the ways I help aspiring writers is through my online writing challenges. They're free and on Facebook, and I have one starting on Monday, June 20th, and that goes until June 25th. So if you want to kickstart your writing in a fun and supportive environment, then join us not later than this Friday, June 17th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time using this link, summerwrite.gr8.com. That's summerwrite.gr8.com. And at that link, you'll also find a little bit more information about the challenge And there's a little video that you can watch where I explain and give more details. Now, the summer is an incredibly inspiring time to get creative. And I'm looking forward to seeing you blossom in the challenge. So sign up today. Today on the show, I'm talking to the amazing, inspiring poet and teacher, Susan Stenson. Susan's work has appeared in several literary magazines, including Fiddlehead, Geist, CV2, and Subterrain, and anthologies including Threshold, Six Women, Six Poets, Vintage 99, and No Choice But to Trust. In 2004, she won first prize in the Arc Poem of the Year contest, Lush Triumphant, Subterranean Magazine's annual writing contest, and the Rona Murray Prize for Poetry, sponsored by the Victoria Arts Council. She also won first prize in the Great Canadian Literary Hunt, this magazine's Poetry Contest 2000, the League of Canadian Poets National Contest in 1999, and the Hawthorne Chapbook Award in 1997 for her manuscript, A Little Less Swing, A Little More Sway. Now that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Susan Stenson, but in one of her online bios, it says, quote, Susan lives ecstatically in Victoria with her family. And I just love the choice of word ecstatic when it's coupled with Susan because it perfectly describes how I felt every day while taking her workshop at the Sage Hill Writing Experience in Saskatchewan. And here now is my interview with Susan Stenson. Enjoy. Tell us a little bit about what you do. I write poetry primarily and some book reviews, but really it's poetry that I that I do. And also, of course, I've been teaching creative writing, poetry and fiction for years and years and years. And mostly through at the high school level in the Writing 12 program here in Victoria. And that was just an exquisite experience because you have the kids who want to be there, want to learn to write. Um, they're, they're really excited to learn about the poetry that's being written in Canada today and how they might fit into that or not fit into that. And we would have writers come in every other Friday. So that was really mm, a great grounding for me in the practice of poetry and the sharing of that community. And how long did you do that? I did that for 30, 31 years. (laughs) 
And then, of course, started the Claremont Review with a couple of colleagues. Well, it was started by my husband, Bill, and the writer, Terrence Young. And then I came along in the second issue. And that's been going since 1992. So, yeah, so something, the Claremont Review now, and now it's been carried on by by new writers and, um, you know, new editors. So I'm so excited about that. That was a, a huge enterprise that we took on. So um, the students that you've taught over the years, you were saying that they're really interested in poetry and wanting to learn and figuring out their place in in uh, in the poetry world. Do you ever come across people who don't believe that they're creative or have problems expressing themselves creatively? Yeah, yeah, all the time. I, th- I would say more in the adult population, and that may just be partly um, the way people are raised. Children today seem to be a little more um, encouraged to try all kinds of things, not just um, one thing or what they're expected to do. It depends, of course, on the culture. But um, when you when you encounter some kind of creative block, how are you going to stop those voices and, and, the, and the feelings in the body that, you know, the heart's pounding, the palms are sweating, this flesh feels like it's contracting because you're going to disappear at any moment right so how do you um how do you do that and i think the the best way is from a you know a teaching perspective is just to acknowledge that it's there and carry on but how do you do that well if you have a class or a teacher it's much easier than if you're doing it by yourself i think if you have a community to support you so that you keep going no matter how stuck you may feel. Because I don't know about, about you, Elizabeth, but for me, the end product doesn't matter if I loved writing it or hated writing it. It doesn't seem to impact whether that poem is going to make it <laughs> in the world, whether it's going to end up published or you know, shared in some way. And that's, that's sort of the thing to, to, to determine. Can we, what point, at what point are we playing? And where does the play start and the kind of profession begin? And how do you stay in that play place to get those delicious first drafts? So do you think play is an important part of the creative process? Yeah, no, I guess we have to define play, which seems crazy. But when we watch kids play, they're certainly in their imagination, aren't they? And they're, and they're testing their limits. They're testing each other. One day I was sitting in a park and observing these kids playing. And I really just wrote down everything that they said word for word, and that poem got published in the Malad Review. And I remember the editor saying, wow, that was so Shakespearean. And I was like, no, that was a a fast poem in the Playfair Park. And they were trying to kill their parents. (laughs) 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 Who didn't seem to be around. (laughs) So maybe they were successful. Maybe they were successful. So, so that play is being willing to go to those scary places. I'm going to kill my parents. I'm going to kill my parents in a poem. Wow. Or, yeah. Or I'm, I'm going to read, read this line and then chop it all up and try it in different ways and maybe totally wreck the product. Because you can do that with poetry maybe more. I was going to say easier than perhaps a painter, but... That's possibly not true. I've you know I've seen videos of Picasso, and when I was watching, I was like, "No, you're gonna wreck it!" He painted this beautiful thing, and then he just covered it with black, 
and kept going. How did he know to do that? Is that play? Is that instinct? I think it's practice, really. I think it's it's just his, um, in that case, with so much experience, it's just a willingness to not be defined by what, by what you did yesterday or what you think you have to do by tomorrow. Wow, that is so powerful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you were, before you said that you, no matter whether you liked writing the poem or not, that doesn't really have any effect on whether it's going to get published or not. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Because I find that really intriguing that, that you would sometimes not like writing the process. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I did. I don't, I'm not familiar with writing in other genres. So for example, my husband is a novelist. So I hear him up. My, my office is downstairs and his office is upstairs. And I, I hear him up there, you know, and he'll write for an hour. Then he'll get up and he'll walk and then he'll sit down and write for an hour. And, and that's not my process. Um, poetry, my, the poems that I write tend to be relatively short, but they're so um, delivered in the body. If you will, they are my every every part of me is engaged in that process with almost um, a center that's open or some kind of vacuum that I don't want to know where I'm going. Whereas sometimes I've heard novelists say they already know the ending. Well, to me, that would be soul destroying. However, I know that's not destroying for for novels because I was actually teaching this last night. How do you calm that left part of that brain or that part of us that needs the structure and the kind of linear? And and for me, I handwrite, so it's kind of the margin. <laughs> so am I writing away from the margin or am I writing toward the margin? You know, and because you, I find with poetry or with my process anyway, and the way that I seem to to teach it is you, you kind of have to find ways to honor that structure that's needed, but also you have to interrupt it. And so um, in a class, you can do that by getting your students to write something and then making them pick a title out of a bag and sticking it on. And they read that, that work to us. And we don't know that they just stuck that title there so it makes sense to us, you know, as we go through, we can understand um, all the connections that they had no idea that they were making. Yeah. And that's, that's how you have to do it, I think, is you have to be willing to not know. And because that knowing was, is going to wreck, is going to wreck the opening that I look for when I read poetry. I don't want that. And I don't want that ending where you kind of go and, and so it was, <laughs> you know, this is how cancer is. This, is, this is what life is, this is what this morning, that's not why I write, I don't write to describe things, I don't, I don't feel I've answered your question, maybe you will want to explore that question some more, but sometimes, yeah, to get, to, to force myself to go to that place of the unknown is really hard, and maybe that's why it feels. Yeah, well, I remember um, taking the workshop with you in... Um... Sage Hill, right? Yeah. And, uh, and we did that exercise where, where you gave us uh, a title. We wrote a poem, I think, and you gave us the title or something, then we read it with that. And it was amazing how it fit is almost always, you know, it fit. And it really 
took you in a new direction and, and made you see new connections. And uh, I, did, yeah. I think all of the workshops uh, that we had with you were really about uh, discovering new things and, and going places where we hadn't been before. So it was really exciting. And uh, thank you, because I think certainly in a workshop setting, you want that because you're going to get home one month, two months, six years later, and you're going to know your own routines really well. I know I always joke that I can write a Susan Stenson poem better than anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but how can I write a new Susan Stenson poem? Or especially, if, and as you get older, you acquire a lot of experience. You've had, you know, pretty much everything, you know, love, death, aging, change of every sort. You've read more and more and more. You've seen, you've seen types of poetry come and go. Um, with poets are the creative process or you're reading about various processes and so um to stay in that flux is very key i believe yeah but the question before was you had said that that uh sometimes you don't like writing a particular poem and yet that doesn't have any um effect on whether it's actually going to get published later on and so that's yeah. what I was really interested in and is why, why would you write something that you, you weren't enjoying? Mm -hmm. It's not the topic necessarily. It's the, it's the resistance to losing control that I don't. Yeah. Um, Cause I don't think I would choose a topic to write about that I didn't like. And I remember, was it, was it the year that at Sage Hill that Richard Ford was there? Yep. And he's in his lecture and he said, why would you write about something you weren't interested in? Yeah. You remember? <laughs> right. Yeah, hello. <laughs> but I think sometimes uh, there's pressure. There's not in the poetry world, but say there's pressure from agents or editors or all these themed anthologies or themed contests you know everybody's writing a conception poem or an underwear poem or novels these days they they have they can have a human interest story but there has to be a war going on behind or you know <laughs> there's to be something more than just the people here and that's probably just um an, the era that we're in with the technology that we have where you hear you and I can look at each other and you're in Montreal and I'm in Victoria and it's as if you're right here. I know it's bizarre. Yeah. Eh? <laughs> so it's this maybe, yeah, right. Those, those, um, I, I'm sure I, as even as I say it, I think, well, yes, you can. That's going to be the, the, the question and the next compulsion. Can I, what can't I write, you know, and go there. Yeah. Go there. How can I not say that? And sometimes if I'm stuck, I'll do that. Or just to open it up instead of saying, I remember, I'll say, you know, I don't remember. I don't remember. Or I can't, I can't, I can't. And that that's often just enough for your brain to let go. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you can. Yes, you can. No, I can't. No, I can't. <laughs> so working with those polarities, I think, really helps that creative process. Working with the polarities um, helps the creative process. Yeah, that I can and I can't. Mm -hmm. So here's what I think I can write and I can write well. And here's what I think I can't write about or I don't know how to write about. So 
if you separate uh, process from product, for me, that's really key. And I can do that because I'm not relying on my writing to pay the rent. And, and that's certainly, a, in Canada, that's a very difficult thing for our artists because most of us have jobs, as you know, or three or four or five jobs to pay the rent. Then the creative process gets squished, you know, into Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings or, or Lucy Maud Montgomery, an hour before she went and taught all day and she would write hour and then go and teach all day and then mark all night and then get up and write for an hour and look what she did <laughs> so but that that can be difficult to be you know in the world and not of it and that because you're especially when you're in the middle of a project or if you're in the middle of a poem and you get up and you go to work you're still you're still in that place of observing and being and it's um it's a softer rhythm you know, it's, I call it the opposite, you know, it's not mortgage brain, it's not survival brain, it's timeless brain, uh, timeless body, it's um, the imaginative body. Yeah. And you do some sort of body or healing work, don't you? I do, you can, yeah, you can see yeah. yeah. what what's all, all that about? It's, you know, the body work that I do is very similar, really, to the to the poetry. So what what might stop us in the creative process or in the poem is going to stop the physiology too. If you're writing all the time and not breathing, that's going to create a certain stress in the body. And so clients come and went, and it's sort of it's an intuitive process, but also uh, working just working with energy medicine and quantum physics research so that you can literally ask the body what's the priority that's the question that i use so what's the priority for this body right now at this time and it might be physical you know the liver's not digesting or not uh, able to handle all the things that coming its way or it's not communicating well with the heart or it's recovering from an operation or it's some kind of um, epigenetic factor from many generations ago. So it's extraordinarily comprehensive. In a, in, oh, I'd have to say miraculous in the same way that you, you, you don't diagnose, you don't prescribe, you just observe, you know, observe the world. Here's how your body is observing the world and it's creating, it's creating this kind of relationships and this, these experiences at work and your relationship with your mom and what you eat and where you want to exercise and your creative process. And I work a lot with artists and athletes kind of on performance and just trying to get them to their to peak performance. What's stopping us is often those thoughts, those thoughts that we can't seem to shake. And so... By extension, it it's also affects the kind of poetry that you write. Is that what you mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the places where you stop in life, and and stopping in life can be, you know, habits of control, such as um, I'm not I'm not allowed to venture there, or that's not I don't know enough about that subject, or for a good example of my husband. When he finished his first short story book, he wanted to write a novel and he wasn't sure what he wanted to write about. And he kept hearing this voice in his head or voice somewhere, wherever we hear these voices. 
And it said, write about the Duke of Boris. Write about the Duke of Boris. He's from Nelson, BC, so he's familiar. You know, he knew the, the word, but he didn't know anything about the Duke of Boris. And so he spent 17 months researching before he started writing a word in the novel. And then the novel was written quite quickly about in about four months. But uh, I think sometimes we're called, you know, we're called to that. We're always called to things. But how do we respond? How do we choose uh, where we want to put our energy? Yeah. Did you ever find a, that you in your own life experienced a loss of creativity? Hmm. Loss of creativity. Well, you know what I, I think I... To answer that question, I tend to equate that with a disconnection to myself. So if I'm not writing or if I'm not observing, if I'm not reading poetry, there's going to be, it's almost like I've put up some kind of construction zone, so I can't go down that street. Mm, right. <laughs> there's so much construction in Victoria this summer. You couldn't drive anywhere. <laughs> trying to find new routes and it would be blocked. And, it's, yeah. and I'm just thinking of that analogy now. So I don't feel I've ever had a time where it felt like there was some great, you know, dinosaur crushing Bambi or something that, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that my creativity is somehow separate from me. So no, I never, never felt that. I mean, there will be time, like, for example, with the, the body talk work that I do, it requires a lot of study. So um, I've been putting a lot of time into that over the last five years. So that means in terms of my publishing works, I'm behind a little bit. My last book came out in 2010. So I'm, people are always asking me, when's your next book coming out? What are you writing? What are you writing? And I say, well, I don't know, <laughs> because <laughs> I'm not putting time into putting those poems into the manuscript and getting them edited and sending them out or sending out my poems. But I've, I'm writing all the time. I've opened a suitcase this morning. I thought, wow, I've got so many poems I haven't even typed in yet. So wow. they just come. They're, they're just a part of, of who I am. But the process, the business of writing, that takes time. And so I was thinking today, hmm, <laughs> I maybe need to put a little more energy into publishing so that, because uh, these, I really like the, the poems that I was reading today because I'm getting ready to go on a, a retreat, really. So I'm bringing a suitcase filled with um, the unfinished or the the somethings or other. So my new book, I think, is tentatively called um, The Self-Help Section on Maine. Oh, so wow. Something- <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I've always been interested just in discovery and personal growth, kind of, you know, from the I Ching to tarot to Tai Chi, um, those kinds of, those kinds of um, ancient symbolist, symbolist studies. I'm really interested in that, in the, the symbol. And how and archetypes and how that works for, but I don't want to narrow it just to health. So that's why I like doing the body talk because it's it's yes, people come in with a sore elbow, 
but they leave with a creative experience and realize that they're they're much bigger than they thought they were when they entered you know and that's uh, something that I hold dear and I'm kind of you know the effusive nature of that connection inspires me so they leave yeah. much bigger than they thought they were in their creative spirit. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think that that is a wonderful definition of, of creativity and, and its effect on us and our body. You know, I think that even in my own uh, classes, a lot of times I'll give uh, a writing prompt and, uh, and before they read it, they say, oh, well, it's not as good as that person or, or it doesn't even make sense or, you know, they're always downplaying. And then we hear it and it's, wow, that is so amazing, you know, and uh, and they're and they are bigger. They're happier, you know, <laughs> like when they get that mm -hmm. feedback and 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 get that confirmation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I could see that. And, and I took a, a painting course recently and. I don't I don't recall any particular trauma that I've had with painting, but I think there was something because as I was I as I was doing it, I kind of got tricked into taking the course because they had another writer that was teaching it, but she was having some health issues and they wanted a a, a runner-up writer, so it was a writing painting class to be there in case. But it turned out so I had to be there, but then I got to participate. So here I am and they, you know, they gave us all these, all the, the things to use. And okay, draw this vase. And I'm thinking, ah, and my hair suddenly was over my face. My heart was pounding. I'm like, ah, I, and I, I for sure thought mine was the worst in the in the entire room. But I just stuck with it because I actually was having fun. And but I, and then I came home and kind of it was a tiny little thing, Elizabeth. Like you would laugh. Oh, I should show. Oh, I won't show it to you. But it was kind of this collagey painting thingy with words and all kinds of cool things and I get home and I, I love it yeah so so what is that what is that something brand new no instruction just dive in and see what happens oh that's so cool but again it's you know um the willingness to to go where you haven't gone before and and not to be afraid of that you know or or not to fear the unknown yeah ah. Yeah, and then after that, I signed up for a two-day painting workshop with the woman, and I did it, and it was amazing. I love got my paintings on the wall now. Oh, who, who knows where you're going to go? Yeah, yeah. And I, I just packed harmonica, so I've got. I'm going to learn the harmonica this winter. Excellent. Yeah, a little blues in my life. That's wonderful. <laughs> All right, so um, I'm, we've come to the end, which is the creative roundup, and there's a few questions and just, you know, short answers, one or two sentences. What person inspires you to be creative? My husband. He's so creative. He just lives and breathes it. Yeah. yeah. Somehow I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> And what is your favorite work of art? It can be a film or a poem or a song, sculpture, painting, any sort of art. Wow. Well, the, the book, you know, if you, I love books, so I don't have a particular favorite book, but there are books that I return to over and over. And Jack Gilbert's poetry book, The Great Fire, I love that book. I read it over and over and over again. Yeah. And a favorite quote that inspires you? 
I like Jane Hirschfield's line, hope is the hardest love we carry. That's beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, I love it. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. You're welcome. And thank you for speaking with me today. It's been fascinating. I can talk to you for another hour. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I would love it. it was, I was so delighted to be asked, and I'll send you that bio. So thank you, Elizabeth. It's fantastic work that you're doing. Thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in. Isn't Susan Stenson an inspiration? What was one thing she said that resonated with you? I'd love to hear what that was and invite you to share it with me by tweeting it to Writer Johnston. I also want to thank Podbean. They host this show on their server and have been such a great support for me when I was first starting out. So if you're thinking about starting a podcast, I recommend you check them out. And if you use my affiliate link, I'll send you a short video about what I've learned about setting up a podcast, plus your first month is free with Podbean. So my affiliate link is podbean.com forward slash r forward slash creativity pb, like peanut butter, pb, <laughs> podbean.com forward slash r forward slash creativity pb. You can also find the link for Podbean on my website, ownyourcreativity.com. So until next week, go out there and own your creativity. Own your creativity.